0: in itself. Um, I had been over in England for my 30 days of uh, residency doing my PhD studies and uh, Carla said, you know, you guys are looking for a vehicle and I think we got someone in our church who might have an old used vehicle for you. So we came and I got to do a service and I got to drive Old Blue, as it was called, all the way back to Bethany, Oklahoma. And uh, that vehicle served us well for several months. We got to pass it on to someone else later who needed one. But it's good to be back, and it's good to be back with Amy this time. And I'm glad she's going to be able to help me do all that driving back to Bethany tomorrow as well. But uh, I'll tell you what, we live in Oklahoma. We're used to tornadoes. I didn't know that we had put a few of those in our suitcase, though, when we came here to Indiana. So, uh, but I'm glad we made it through. If you have your Bibles with you, would you turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy First Timothy, chapter four. And as you're turning, let me just mention really quickly before I forget. We have a table in the back and the table has a lot of our things from West Africa, including some instruments and some books and some sculptures and whatnot. And in my pocket, I even have some pennies from South Africa. So especially for the kids, if you want to come and tell me your name, You'll get a penny from South Africa tonight, too, while you're back at the table. So we want to get to know you. And even if you're not a kid and don't need a penny, come and introduce yourself anyways. And uh, we want to get to know you. And uh, you'll get to talk to Amy back there as well. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, we'll be reading verses 13 to 16. Shall we stand in honor of the reading of God's word? 1 Timothy 4, 13 to 16. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message, when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray. Lord, our prayer tonight is take this whole world, but give us Jesus. And Lord, as we look around our world and see so many who are in such desperate straits, yet, Lord, when they come to you, they become rich in an unbelievable way. Lord, help us to give that message to them as we reach out to them in the name of Jesus. Guide our thoughts tonight. Open our hearts as we hear your voice through your word. Help us, Lord, to know where we can plug in and what part we can play in this great missionary enterprise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Planting a church is one thing. Keeping it on track... Is another. And one key to keeping it on track is solid teaching. Timothy is in Ephesus, pastoring the church. Paul has already moved on to other fields of service. Yet Paul is concerned. Trouble is brewing in Ephesus. In chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, as soon as he greets Timothy, Paul gets to the point. Listen to verse 3 of that first chapter. Stay there in Ephesus, Timothy, so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines anymore. And now again, in chapter four, Paul comes back to this crucial theme. He says, Timothy, watch your life. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Why was Satan attacking to understand what's going on here, we really need to go back to Acts chapter 19. There we learned that Paul was preaching Christ and people in Ephesus were responding in droves. In fact, they were so sincere in their response and in their determination to follow Christ that they were publicly confessing their sins, confessing their evil deeds. In fact, we're told by Luke in Acts 19 that sorcerers were coming They were bringing their magic books, their their livelihood, and they were stacking them up and they were burning them as a testimony to the fact that they were burning their bridges behind them and that they were following Jesus for good. Verse 19 of Acts 19 says it this way. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. What was happening? Well, there was a local goddess there by the name of Artemis. And artisans would make little statues to her and they would sell them. And that's how they made their money. But as more and more people came to Christ and began to follow him, they left the idols behind. And the number of orders for those little statues was going down and people were being, well, they were losing their jobs. And so they tried to stir up a riot against Paul, tried to kick him out of town. Well, when that didn't work, they didn't know what to do. You see, not even a riot could squelch this new and vibrant faith. So Satan needed to go to plan B. If he couldn't stop that church in Ephesus from growing, he would do the next best thing. He would hijack the church by infiltrating it with false doctrine, and it is this that Paul is determined to prevent. Around 30 years ago in Cote d'Ivoire, also known as the Ivory Coast in West Africa, Missionaries from another denomination arrived on the scene. They preached Christ. They were anointed. God honored their preaching. It sparked a church planting movement. Many were coming to Christ. God was doing something amazing in that West African country. In just a few short years, their membership for that church in the country grew to over 50,000. In fact, in most towns and in many villages, you could find... A congregation of that evangelical church. But for all their zeal in planting churches, they seem to have forgotten one important thing. They failed to provide an adequate structure for theological education. For grounding pastors in Bible and theology and what they needed to do their job. Well, as the years went by, one by one, those Western missionaries went home. Until there were no missionaries left. They left the work in the hands of an Avorian pastor who had shown leadership skills. And one day, he saw a tract. He picked it up and began to read it. On the back of that tract was printed the name of the people who put it out. Watchtower Society. Now, that name, Watchtower, may set off some alarm bells with you. You see, it's the printing arm of the Jehovah's Witnesses. And that pastor who had not received the grounding in God's word that he needed was more or less a doctrinal blank slate. He bought the Jehovah's Witness doctrine, hook, line and sinker, including this doctrine. See, Jehovah's Witness teach that Jesus is not God, that Jesus is the greatest of all the beings that God has created. But that Jesus himself is not not divine. He is not God. And so that pastor began to preach that and he began to tell the other pastors underneath them that they had to preach that, too. And this caused a rift in the church. About one third of the pastors ended up leaving. They had not been taught doctrine, but they knew enough about the Bible to say that doesn't seem to square with what we're reading. And so that church essentially underwent shipwreck. There was no one there to tell that lead pastor That what he was teaching was an ancient heresy in the church called Arianism. A false doctrine that had been condemned centuries before in 323 A.D. by the Council of Nicaea. Just a little knowledge. Just a little training might have spared an entire denomination from loss. In the Spider-Man movies... Peter Parker is coming to terms with his superhuman powers. And uh, there's this one scene where he's sitting in the taxi with his Uncle Ben. Now, uncle his Uncle Ben was more like a father figure to him. Had raised him since he was a boy. And he turns to Peter and he says, Peter, with great power comes great responsibility. Now, with my apologies to the creators of Spider-Man, allow me to... Paraphrase Uncle Ben's dictum. Tonight, I would suggest that with great church growth comes great responsibility. And the Church of the Nazarene is growing in Africa by leaps and bounds. God is doing something amazing. All over the continent, people are hungry for God. And they're hungry for the message of holiness, which is the hallmark of our denomination. The West African country of Benin, where Amy and I served for four and a half years as pioneer missionaries, is just one example of this. Now, when we left Benin in June of 2003, by the grace of God, there were four Nazarene congregations in that country. But I got an invitation to go back four years afterwards. And so in June 2007, I flew down from England in the middle of my studies there. And got to teach a class on John Wesley's theology. And the class went great. About a week into that two-week class, we kind of had a little break. It was the weekend. And so I said to Pastor Moses, I said, where can we go to church? He said, let's go to Gonvier. Now, remember I told you to look for that church that was kind of up on supports on stilts there? That's where we went. You saw the boat. We got on that boat and we headed out to Gonvier. The village on stilts, or the stilt village as people call it. A village of 40,000 people living out on this lagoon. And all the homes there are built up on these filts. Now, there are various stories as to why that happened. One person says they were trying to escape the king's tax man. That sounds good, especially around April 15th, I think. But there they were out on the lake. And a few years ago, after we had already left, one of our Jesus Film teams went in there and showed the Jesus Film. And that church is direct fruit of the Jesus Film ministry. Well, there we were on that Sunday morning. People were praising the Lord in, a, in the West African fashion. Uh, a lot of them were dancing and just just joyously, exuberantly uh, giving their praise to God. And during that time of worship, I turned to Pastor Moses, the one who Amy and I had mentored during those four and a half years. Now he is our district superintendent. And I said, Moses, I said, how many churches are there now in Benin? Now, mind you, just four years later. He kind of got quiet. I could see the wheels were turning in his head. He said, Pastor Crawford, he said, counting preaching points, we now have one hundred and six. Praise the Lord. Now, that's a God thing. God is moving throughout that country. In fact, in the month of January, early January was our annual district assembly in that country. Do you know how many delegates there were at their assembly in the northern part of Benin? 800 delegates at that assembly. They had to rent a stadium to be able to hold them all. In fact, according to District Superintendent Moise's report, in December of 2008 alone, one month, mind you, 27 new churches were organized in the northern part of that country. And every time a new church is planted and they bring the members forward and they say their vows and they receive them into membership, they solemnly promise as a church that within one year's time, they will bring the gospel in the church of the Nazarene to a neighboring village that has no evangelical church. In fact, evangelization is the mainstay of the NYI for them. That's what they do for youth activity. They say, hey, let's go plant a church. That sounds kind of interesting, doesn't it? And they go and they, they'll visit in the homes in the village and they'll show the Jesus film. And they'll build a little shelter for the new Christians there that are the result of that ministry. Well, for the new assembly year, they decided to set a goal not just as a country, but as neighboring countries. They call it the Sahel Corridor which refers to the desert-like area of those northern countries in West Africa. This includes Ghana, Burkina Faso, Togo, Benin, and Niger. Their joint goal for the new year is to add in those areas 10,000 new members, and they want to reach a total of 1,000 Nazarene churches in that area. Preaching the message of a holy God who wants to make his people holy. You know, whenever God starts to do something new like that and something amazing, the alarm bells start to go off in hell. You remember in the Old Testament when the children of Israel were marching through the land and they were taking town after town and city after city, God was giving them the promised land. And in the book of Numbers, we have the story of the king of Moab, Balak. Who looked out and saw what God was doing and he was afraid. And so he went to Balaam and he said, Balaam, come and curse these Israelites. Now with that story in mind, think about what is happening in northern Benin as God is taking the land. As as areas of that country that had never had any kind of evangelical witness had only had Islam and animism. Now for the first time is hearing the gospel. Satan is not happy, and he's striking back. The phone rang in Cotonou. Pastor Moses picked it up. Now, his phone didn't ring at home. It rang in his hospital room because he was sick enough to be hospitalized, but he answered the phone. And on the other end was a man from northern Benin. He said, Is this Pastor Moses? Yes, it is. He said, I've just come from the north. I need to see you. He said, Well, this isn't a very good time. I'm in the hospital. He said, well, could you just come and see me? He said, okay. So he checked himself out of the hospital. He went and he met with this man. Here was the story. He said, Pastor Moses, do you know such and such a village? And he gave the name of it. He said, well, yeah, I do. He said, that's where we've planted a church recently. He said, yeah, you're right. He said, I was there among those receiving you in the village when you came with your team and showed the film and... Began to disciple the people. He said uh, several of us in the village weren't very happy about it. We didn't want that church to be planted. So we decided that we were going to stop you right then and there. He said we had access to the food and the water that you and your pastoral team ate for that entire week. He said we poisoned it. Day after day you drank the water. You ate the food. And you left and that church was there, and you left the leaders behind, and you went on your way, and nothing happened. And we said, whoa, what's going on here? So we decided we would try it again, and the next time you were back there to follow up and to do discipleship, he said, we, uh, we decided that we would go and uh, have a curse put upon you. And so we did. We had a voodoo curse put on you, and we expected that when you left at the end of the week, heading back, according to our plan, heading back, your bus would overturn, and you would be killed and along with your team, and that would be the end of that. So we had that curse put on. You came, you preached, you did leadership training, you left on that bus, and we got word, not that the bus had overturned, but that you'd all made it home safely. And we said... Okay, this is not good. <laughs> what is going on here? And so me and the others who were doing this, we decided that we needed to get the most powerful curse that we could. So we went to the chief witch doctor, who also, by the way, happened to be the Muslim imam there in the mosque. And he said, we went and we said, we, we really need to stop these people. What can we do? He said, well, it's going to cost you. How much is it going to cost? And he gave him the figure, which was the equivalent of 1,200 U.S. dollars. Now, mind you, one day's work in that poor part of the world gets you about two U.S. dollars. So you can see that's a real sacrifice. They collected the money people gave. They went, they had the, uh, the fetish, as they call it, made up. The next time the team was through, they had, their, they had their training and they went back. They arrived home safely with no ill effect. He said, I knew then that the God that you serve, is the one and only true God. And the next time that I heard the Jesus film was going to be shown in the area, I went and I saw it. And at the end, when they gave the invitation, I went forward and he said, and I joined the church of the Nazarene that was planted as a result of the next showing. He said, but there's a problem now. He said, my friends who were in on all this with me, the curses and all... Now they think that I'm the traitor and the same curses that we were putting against you, they are now putting against me. Pastor Moses, I'm a little bit scared. Would you pray for me before I head back up north? And Pastor Moses said, oh, yeah, I'll pray for you. And they prayed together and that man went back north. And as far as I know, he's still there in the church, reaching out, evangelizing, helping spread the word of God, not just to his village, but to the other villages. Around him as pastor Moses gave that testimony in a pastor's meeting. Here's how he ended it. He said my brothers and sisters I Praise God For sending his angels to protect me Even when I didn't know that my life Was in danger District assembly time each year is a time when we need to double our prayers for our missionaries and for our national leaders Mark Lowe is our field director for West Africa. A couple weeks ago, he sent an email report. You see, he had done a lot of these district assemblies. And he said, I want to praise God for his traveling mercies. He and his uh, team had been around to the six different district assemblies in West African countries. As it turns out, they were on their way to Monrovia, Liberia to hold the next assembly. They were traveling through the night. It was late. Here's what happened. Mark writes... While driving the 11-hour mostly dirt road from Zwedru to Monrovia in Liberia, the Lord also delivered us from possible death. The car that we were traveling in slid off the road and flew approximately 20 meters through the air. As it left the ground and flew through the bushes towards trees in the dark of the night, I suddenly sensed the car being lifted and placed down. It was as if someone just gently put the car down. After the shock of what had just happened wore off, we got out of the car with flashlights. We were amazed to discover that nothing on the car had been broken and that none of us were even scratched. Some 30 minutes later, a pickup load of soldiers passed by and they helped lift the car out of the ditch where the Lord had placed it. The driver was then able to drive it back onto the road. I thank the Lord for His hand of protection. If you've ever doubted that your prayers for your missionaries make a difference, doubt no more. Never are we more vulnerable than when we travel and yet even then we rest in the assurance of God's protection knowing that we are covered by your prayers and as He calls you to do so by your fasting on our behalf. You see, with great Church growth comes great responsibility. It is our responsibility to pray. But as important as prayer is, the responsibility is bigger. Bigger even than that. To avoid churches straying off into doctrinal error, we must teach our people, especially our pastors. Paul says in this passage to Timothy, Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to to teaching. You can hear the words of Paul echoed in Mark Lowe's newsletter. He writes later in that same letter that I just referenced. As we approach fifty thousand Nazarenes in over one thousand churches, the challenge of training and formation lies before us. We need teachers and training centers, he writes, books and supplies. Please pray about your part in the ever growing harvest. In July, Amy and I will return to Africa as a small part, perhaps, of God's answer to Mark Lowe's plea for theological education. And yet our mandate is larger even than West Africa. As director of the Nazarene Theological Institute, I, with Amy's help as my assistant, will coordinate our pastoral education efforts for two fields, from Cape Verde and Senegal, on Africa's west coast, to Congo in the heart of the continent, to Madagascar in Reunion in the Indian Ocean. In all, this includes 20 countries and counting. The other day, as I was just feeling a little bit overwhelmed by it all, I said to Amy, I said, you know, this is a big job. And she said, yeah, you're right, it is a big job. But we've got a bigger God. Hmm. Big job. Bigger God. We'll live in Nairobi, Kenya, because pastors across the continent are really wanting to be able to get a bachelor's degree. They can't all quit their ministries and move off to African Nazarene University. So one of our projects and plans is to make a connection between the NTI and ANU so that through distance education, back there right in their own locations, they can be studying and eventually receive a Bachelor of Theology degree accredited by ANU. So we'll be there in Nairobi to work on that project. And it's a great jumping off spot for us to get flights to all different parts of the continent. You say, wow, it is a big job. How can we be a part in this kind of an effort? How can we, with that Great church growth help fulfill the great responsibility that comes along with it. Well, the first thing you can do, as I've already alluded to, is to pray. Pray. We need to pray for our national leaders. I talked about Moise. Cyril is another one who lives over in Togo. And they just went through a terrible ordeal where they were put in jail for a couple days because of an accident where where someone ended up being killed. It wasn't their fault, but they almost were killed themselves on the spot in a vigilante kind of response. And yet the Lord protected them. That's just a little story, an example of how our pastors need your help and protection. Pray for the family of those who were killed in that accident and the grief that they're going through, that the Lord would minister to their hearts. Pray that the Lord would help us raise enough money for our vehicle. Now, we're targeting $20,000 so that we can buy a good used vehicle there in Nairobi and have a little bit left over to, to maintain it and to help it. I know the Lord is going to answer that prayer. The second way that you can pray is to pray for the ITN, the NTI, that God would raise up leaders. We need pastors who have good, strong teaching gifts so that they in turn can teach other pastors. We know God is going to raise up men And women to be able to fulfill that role. In addition to praying. We can give. We can give in ways big and small. Today is your faith promise. I don't need need to repeat no doubt the wonderful things that you heard this morning. From Carla about faith promise and the difference it makes. But we have more than 700 missionaries. Are working around the world in the Church of the Nazarene, not just in Africa, but in other places in the world. Creative access areas that we can't always talk very openly about. But uh, places like South America, all continents, 700 missionaries. How can they go? They can go because people like you give sacrificially, even during tough economic times like recessions. Keep giving. You've done a great job. I wish all 700 of us could be in the room tonight to say thank you to you for all that you've done and continue to do. They couldn't be here tonight, but Amy and I are here. And I would like to say on their behalf, thank you. You're doing a great job. Keep up the good work. We've never had to worry about whether we're going to have salary from month to month. That's not even on our minds. We can give our full attention to the job that God has called us to do because you continue to be faithful through faith promise, through offerings like at Easter time and Thanksgiving and the many ways that we fund the mission enterprise. Thank you for giving. The third thing that you can do is you can go. Now, I wouldn't be at all surprised if there's A child here tonight, or a teenager, or perhaps a young adult, or perhaps someone even in their 30s or older. One day, you're going to be standing where Amy and I are, in that God would call you to be a career missionary. God's going to show you how you can prepare yourself and fulfill that call. You say, well, I'm not qualified to do that. Let me tell you something. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And if He puts that call on your life, He's going to open up the doors to help you to fulfill that call. But perhaps it won't be a long-term ministry assignment. Perhaps it will be something more short-term. You heard on our presentation tonight that word online education. I put it on there more or less as a wish or as a hope or as a dream. Because as we're flung across 20 countries or more, this huge geographical expanse about the size of two continental United States. Imagine with me. How do you do it? How do you train so many people? And part of that answer may be online education. And so as we're traveling around, I'm I'm giving the plea. If you have skills in IT networking, you've had training and competence in that area, and would be interested in coming over and helping us set up one of our centers in one of those 20 countries, would you come to the table afterwards? We'll take your name, and we'll take your email address. And I'm not going to say it's going to be in a month or two months. It could be a year or longer But we will keep in touch with you, and uh, we'll see what doors the Lord might open for you to possibly be able to come over and to help us set up one of those centers. Well, with great church growth comes great responsibility. But with that responsibility comes great joy. As we pour ourselves out in this great worldwide mission that God has called us to do. You know, i got to admit, this is a memorable service. I can't remember any other service that started with us huddling in the nursery with the tornado sirens going off. <laughs> but I'm so glad that after the storm passed over, that we got a chance to hear some wonderful music. I, I could have sat down there and just had a whole concert by this group that was up here earlier tonight. Wasn't that wonderful? But uh, it's been such a joy to be here with you tonight. Thank you for your invitation. and Thank you for all you've done and all that you'll continue to do as together we reach our world for Jesus Christ. Pastor Chuck.